0: Amen. Ephesians chapter two verse thirteen. We're talking about church walls this whole month in uh, March. Dividing walls is the title of our series, and we're in the book of Ephesians chapter two verse thirteen. This morning we're going to talk about tribes. Tribes. Uh, You know, moving to a small town in Louisiana, I've learned one thing. One of the first things that someone's going to ask you is, "Who are your people?" That's one of just you go to any store, any restaurant, you meet somebody new, they're going to be like who are you? Where are you from? What's your family? And, and then you begin to tell them, and if you're anywhere, if you have family within 50 mile radius of this place, you're probably going to bind out your cousins somehow or another, or they're going to say, oh yeah, I know your grandma's brother's aunt's cousin's sister on your mother's side. They're going to, there's somehow or another, we're all connected, we're all related, even if my family, uh, my family lives two and, uh, two and a half hours from here. I find out that uh, my secretary's neighbor is related to my cousin from Oak Grove, Louisiana. It's just like, how in the world, we're all somehow, you ever know know what I'm talking about? You're connected to somebody, Some You can go to Disney World. You're gonna find somebody you know. It's just the way it works. Uh, Beth and I went to Disney uh, with our daughter for the first time several uh, months back uh, for vacation, and we walked through this restaurant. It was on one random day of one random hour. We went to one restaurant. It was uh, packed out or canceled. And we had to go to another restaurant. We walked through the line. Beth just happens, this, this place has got 500 people in it, right? Beth happens to walk out of the bathroom, and right there was one of my former deacons at my former church. On any, I'm just like, anywhere you go, you're finding somebody that you're connected to. That we're a part of this tribe, and your tribe matters to people. Who are you from, it defines who you are, what's your distinctive group, who's your people. You know, America has been said to be with a great melting pot, meaning that people from every walk of life, color, and creed, somehow they come to this country and we blend it together. We like a little bit of Mexican food, a little bit of Chinese food. Some of you are from Polish. If we would take your DNA right now, we'd find all kinds of stuff in your DNA. Half of you would be a little bit of a Native American in you. You'd have black, white, Hispanic, Latino, whatever, everything, the whole, the whole everything under the color of a sun. you're going to find some of y'all are Polish or Irish, but it hasn't been without struggle, right? This great melting pot. You think about the Irish Catholics when they came over here and how they were treated initially as immigrants. You think about all the things we've struggled with to get all these cultures into one place. Uh, and today is no different. Think about our country right now. We are the most divided in our tribes. I think about the the polar opposite today of where we are all coming from. And think about this. If we were to say the two polar opposite tribes in America today, the two furthest tribes apart, you would think northern, liberal, democrat, black, gay woman on this side. By labeling a person that way, you've already got one picture in your head. And on the other side, you're going to think southern, conservative, republican, white, heterosexual man, right? Right? And and that's going to be the two furthest tribes apart, two furthest people apart. And as soon as you say those words, you say those phrases, as soon as you begin to put those labels of those tribes on people, you automatically have an image in your head and there's automatically walls. Northern versus Southern, liberal versus conservative, white versus black, man versus woman, gay versus straight. All these walls are just permeated the culture of our, our society but yet we're this great melting pot. And how does the church fit into the mix? Because there's one label you could put on, and you could say Christian, and that's going to be another wall. Isn't it? Isn't it another wall in our country? Black, white, gay, straight, liberal, conservative, and then you put Christian in there, that's another wall in our country. And, and I'm, I want to talk to you today in this month about these walls, And I'm not talking about a political thing here where we're in this argument in our country at this moment about walls. We're in a whole different ballgame right now. But the walls that we have is, should the church be this melting pot for instance, there was a guest pastor who showed up at a Sunday school class. He was going to preach, and he goes early to the Sunday school class, and he begins to hear them talk, and they begin to talk about things like this. They begin to talk about the abortion issue in our country. They begin to talk about gay marriage issues and transgenders and crime, hate crime laws and the one-world government that's coming and the Antichrist and President Obama and Joel Olstein. and yet they failed to ever read the Bible. And he, he asked them what the Bible verse they were studying this morning, and nobody could tell them. What the Bible verse was, but we could talk about all of our walls. We can talk about everything that we're getting. None of those are, uh, in a sense, you we say, well, Pastor, there is clear biblical stuff about abortion. There's clear biblical. That is so true. I'm, I agree with that. But when the world comes in, all do, do they see walls? Do they see division? Do they see. And here's the sad part in our churches today. We might, we, uh, the world may look at us and they may see all the things that we're against, but they can also see the walls that are between every person in the pews across America. The number one issue in the church today is unity. It's the number one issue in every, how many churches do you know that, have? how many, raise your hand if you know a church that's ever split. Look at all these people in this hand. We, we all know the number one issue in the church today is unity. And here is a divided world looking at a divided church. In America. All the walls that, that, that divide us, that many churches are known not just by their divisions with the world, but by their divisions within themselves. Our greatest problem is unity. And how do we have a message of reconciliation if we can't be reconciled together? Amen? There are dividing walls. These are walls that not only separate us from God, but us from one another in the pews. And us from a lost and dying world. And we're going to be talking and breaking down and praying through these walls this morning. And simply this: that Jesus broke down the dividing wall, so let's not rebuild any. Jesus broke down the dividing wall, so let's not rebuild any. Look with me about two walls in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. If you're there, somebody say amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, You who were formerly far off, everybody say far off. It's not talking about your spouse being out there. But far off, having been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one. Everybody say one. And broke down the commandments contained in the ordinances, so that he himself might make the two into one man, having put to death the enmity, that is the hostility, and he came and preached peace to all who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have our access into one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and you're of God's household. You're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building is being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Now, let me break Let's kind of break that down this morning and talk about these two walls. He says, there are people who are far off. The Jews thought Gentiles. There's Jews and there's Gentiles. Jews, those are the people of God. Israel, uh, the bloodline of Abraham. Gentiles is everybody else in the world. It says, that the Jews thought the Gentiles were far off. They were without God, without hope in the world. And he says that there was a separation between Jew and Gentile. And the temple illustrated this. There were dividing walls. As the, tabernacle, or the temple and the tabernacle, there was these levels of walls. And on the, out, the outer court was called the Gentile court. So there was a wall you had to get through even to get into that. And as you got into the Gentile court, it was a big court. Then there was another wall. And that was where Jewish women could get in. Then there was another wall, and that was where Jewish men could get in. Then there was another wall, and that was where the priests could get in. And then there was a holy of holies where only the high priest once a year could get in. And the whole thing was built on walls. Because the holiness of God, no sinful man could get closer to it. And he says there was this main dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. Gentiles were far off, and even if they came in, they couldn't get close to God. But there was also a wall of separation between Jews and God from the holy place. Even the very holy place of God was divided by a veil, a 60-foot curtain, a thick, thick purple veil that no one could go behind. And so Paul says there's two walls. There was a wall between Jew and Gentile, but there was also a wall between God and sinners. And he says there were some that were far off and some that were near, but he has preached peace to both, that both people were really without God. This dividing wall. He says that Christ comes and he brings reconciliation. What's that? Reconciliation means to make two people who were not friends, friends again. It means that they come together, that the peace happens, that there was hostility before, but something has happened to bring the friends together, that we've made up. There's something that's happened. He says Christ preached what? Peace. He preached peace to those who are far off, the Gentiles, and those who are near the Jews. And he says he's brought them together, that when the veil was torn, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, there was a veil that was torn between the holy place, and it was ripped from top to bottom, and no man could do that with their own hands. And it was ripped, and he says that's symbolic. Not only now is there peace with God, but there's also the possibility of peace between man. He said in his own very body, He brought reconciliation. He ended the separation, not only between God and man, but between man and man. And how did he do this? He says, you know, he's kind of like this cornerstone, this capstone. He says, cornerstone or a capstone, it kind of can mean two things. One, it can mean this big foundation stone that everything is built upon, that struts uh, uh, struts up in the middle, and everything is kind of hedged on it this big foundation stone, but it can also mean like the capstone, even on an arch where you bring the two arches together and that stone that puts things in the middle where it brings two sides into one. It says that he has been this capstone, this cornerstone, not only something that's built together, but a cornerstone also could be a stone that is the adjoining of two walls, that he is bringing two walls into one, two people, two sides together, that there's no dividing line, that he's made it all complete in himself, that Jesus Christ becomes this great reconciler of people. He's the meeting point. He's the place where we can all get along. Think about it. He's the place where we can all have something in common. Look at this room. Look at this room. We have people from Pentecostal background, Baptist background with black. We have white. We have people that have come from different walks of life, different generations, but there's one thing we can have in common. That's Jesus Christ. You may not naturally go get coffee with someone across the side. They may have nothing in common. You're like, I don't even know what I would talk about. uh, The weather, that's like the closest thing I can get to talk with that person about. Well, there's one thing we can have in common that every person in heaven will have in common that Jesus Christ has been our great reconciler. And that every difference, falls apart and everything comes together when we find that Jesus Christ has got this one thing going it says that he brings access into the presence of God that he would tear down the wall between Jew and Gentile between man and woman between religious and non-religious and between the holy presence of God and a sinful man he would tear down every wall in his own body and he would provide access in himself. And he'd say, There's only one way to the Spirit, that's through me. There's only one way to reconcile your differences, that's through me. I'm the great reconciler. And in his body on this cross, this cross becomes the new wall and the new bridge. It becomes the only way, Jesus said in himself, to get into the presence of God. It's a wall. It is the only. You have to pass through the cross to get to the presence of God. It's the only way in. He's the way. The way was the door, the gate. If 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 you go into the tabernacle, there was only one way to go in, uh, the outer court. And He becomes the way. That's what the way is—the gate. He becomes the access in. But then there's no walls once you get inside. Isn't that wonderful? There's no walls, there's no hindrance from you getting into God. If you would pass through the way, through the cross, through the blood of Jesus, there is no limit to the presence of God. He says, he's this great meeting place. He's the oneness, he's the way, he's the spirit. He's the one to peace with God and peace with man. And there are no longer any strangers at the cross. He says, guess what? In the cross, there's not Jewish nation, in Gentile nation, he says, you're all fellow citizens together. There's no this family versus this family. He says, you're all one family in Christ. You're all one people before God. Now, what does this mean for us? So that's the gospel message, but we're going to break it down to us today. We're going to talk about reconciling tribal walls. Reconciling tribal walls. It took a long time for the early church to realize there's no difference at the cross. Because you leave everything you are at the cross. Everything you are has to be left, laid bare at the cross. It's this wall and bridge. It's it's this place where the gospel of God's good news, His kingdom, is coming to all the world. And it's a message that has no borders and it has a message that has no boundaries. Look in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, in the New Living, it says this. Paul figures this out. He comes, man, he's preaching to these churches, right? And as he's preaching, he's got Jews and Gentiles. He's got Romans. He's got Greeks. He's got Syrians. He's got Asians. He's got all these people. He's got uh, rich and slaves. He's got all this stuff, women and men. And he's saying, we have learned something. have learned something. Verse, uh, uh, chapter 5, verse 16, 2 Corinthians. We have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. And at one time, we thought Christ, uh, he was just a merely human. We only saw him from a human point of view. But how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. And this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task or this ministry of reconciling people to himself. Paul said, I'm a reconciler. I'm a reconciler to men to God and men with themselves. The church is twofold. It's that same place. It's a meeting place. It's a reconciling place. It's a people of all different walks of life and backgrounds on every continent and every tribe and every language, every tongue for all times. For all times and for all cultures. And one of the number one ways that we try to rebuild these walls See, Christ has broke down the wall that once you get in, there's no walls between you and one another and you and God. There's just this open courtyard where the full access of the presence of God comes in. He says, one of the walls we try to build is nationality walls. I'm going to tell you this. The gospel is not American. It's not. It's not American. It didn't begin in America. It's not going to end in America. The gospel is not American. From the very beginning in the day of Pentecost, from the very beginning of the church, God brought a great crowd of witnesses to hear the glory of God in their own language Think about it from the very beginning, the first time the gospel was proclaimed, it was proclaimed in unknown languages and people from all walks of life and backgrounds said, I hear people glorifying God in my language. That first church was a multi-language, multi-ethnic, multi church was the first church. That's a gospel to all languages and all people. Think about Philip and the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8, verse 5. Philip is a a Jew, and God calls him. He says, go to the Samaritans. Who are the Samaritans? The Samaritans were these people who were mixed bloods, half Jews. They had brought in pagan religion uh, into the Jewish religion, made their own thing. Jews hated Samaritans. They thought they were trash. They were racist against them, nationalists against them. And God goes, and Philip begins to preach, and he hears that they hear the good news. They begin to respond by faith, and he calls Peter and John. He says, hey, guys, these guys are getting saved, and they're getting baptized in water. Come, let's pray for them. And they begin to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. The church began to go against the national stigma. People didn't like that. You're going to people that that shouldn't hear this. And John looks up in Revelation in chapter 7, verse 9, and what does he see? He says, man, I saw this great multitude Oh, when we get to heaven, it's going to be a people that nobody can count. It's going to be from every nation and tribe and people and tongue are going to stand before the throne and the Lamb on that day. Heaven's not going to look a lot like me. It's not going to look a lot like this church. It's not going to look a lot just like the South. There are going to be people from Africa in Fiji and Australia and Europe. There are going to be people from tribes from uh, 2,000 years ago in the jungle somewhere where the first missionary went and saw people get saved. It's going to be the most diverse place. Amen. Amen. A glorious place. And today... I have to be careful not to rebuild nationalistic walls. The gospel transcends nation. And I don't know if it's, we can all have our national opinions. It might be an opinion about Hispanic illegals, it could be an opinion about Syrian refugees. But let me tell you something I am Christian first and American second. I am Christian first. An American second. I can vote. I can have my opinions. I can stand on what I believe as an American, a Democrat, or Republican. I can stand on that for sure. But let me tell you something. I am a Christian first. My nation is not a man-made nation. My nation is the kingdom of God. And it transcends day and time and year and border. I am not a citizen just of America. But he says in Ephesians 2.19, we are fellow citizens of God's kingdom. That's your first nationality. Somebody say amen. amen. We're Christians first. Number two, all we try to build and rebuild in America is race. Uh, I may be surprising to you, but Jesus was not white. He did not have blonde hair, and he did not have blue eyes, despite what pictures you see or movies you watch. From the very beginning, Philip went to not only just the Samaritans, but God said, hey, go down on the south road and go to Damascus. Uh, and he says, you're going to meet a person there. And he began to meet an Ethiopian, which is a black man. He began to meet a black man who had been searching God, but he couldn't find anything. And so Philip begins to tell him the gospel. And on that road, they come to some water. He says, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip says, nothing if you only believe in your heart. And he says, let's do it. He gets baptized and he goes on. One of the first converts was a black man. And so the gospel began from the very beginning to transcend race. You even go on to Peter and Cornelius. Peter was actually a racist. We don't say that very often, but he was he was a racist. God gives him a vision. He says, Peter, don't you dare call things unclean who I've made clean. I want you to go down, and you're going to go to this Roman centurion's house. is Cornelius, and you're going to go there. You're going to preach the gospel. And people in Cornelius' house simply believed the message. And when Peter was speaking, man, the Holy Spirit fell down upon them, and he baptized a bunch of Romans, a bunch of Greeks, a bunch of people who were pagans, who were heathen, who had other gods. And it says that from the very beginning, it went against race. Do we call anybody impure or unclean? Oh, sure, if we were to poll people in any church in our area, would you say, you are racist? You'd say, no, of course not. We know that's a bad word. But in our heart, we have hidden prejudices. We can see somebody with a certain set of clothes on, certain look, certain size, certain type, certain whatever, and we we can begin to put them there in those little stereotypes. We all were born with racial stereotypes. It's just part of life. It's a part of thing. But let me tell you something, but in the cross... On this side of the cross, the Bible says it's not one race is superior or one race is better or this different. It says that you are all, guess what, a chosen race. There's only one race in heaven. You're all chosen. You're all equal before God. You're all a part of this great kingdom that we've all left our races behind. When I come to the cross, I leave my citizenship behind. I get a new citizenship. When I come to the cross, I leave my race behind. And I get a new race because I'm a new creature in heaven, a new believer, a new person. I'm a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That means that I'm not just white, but I'm a Christian who happens to be white, that it's not about my race and being pride and, 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 and every, everything that we go through in this life. And we can get polar opposite on black lives matter and blue lives matter and white lives matter and all these lives matter. But let me tell you something, we are all a chosen race at the cross. Amen. We're all a chosen race at the cross. The next law, wall we like to build is family walls. You know, you may be the Hackfields and they may be the McCoys, but when you come to this church, you're one family. I don't care what he or she has done to you or what has been said about you in the past. If they come into a place of worship and they enter the family of God, there's just one family. There's just one family. You know, in ancient times, family determined everything, it determined your status your career. It would determine your marriage, your religion, your land, everything. Your family was your security. Yet Jesus looks to a a young man and wants to go say bye to his family. And Jesus knew if he would go back to say bye to his family, his family would probably talk him out of it. And what does he say? He says, nobody who's looking, uh, who puts their hands on the plow and looks back is worthy of the kingdom of God. That the gospel transcends your family ties. The gospel calling is bigger than your family's calling. So many people have given up the call to ministry because of a, of a relative or a mom or a dad who didn't want them to do that, or a boyfriend or a girlfriend that pulled them away from it. But your calling is bigger than your family. He even said, Jesus said that, that he would give a hundred times as much in the age to come people who had left their homes, their wives, their kids, their families, their farms for the sake of the gospel that the gospel transcends that. In fact, he goes even further. He says, you have to hate your family, even your wife, your husband, or your kids in comparison to how much you love me, that you have your first allegiance to this new father, this new family, the family of God. So at the cross, I leave my nationality. At the cross, I leave my race. And at the cross, I leave my family for a new family, how we got family walls? Oh, I wouldn't go to that church because my family goes there. Ooh, Lord, help us. Or I wouldn't go to that church because another family goes there. At the cross, you're a new family. It's getting quieter. Next is status. Well, we love to build statuses. Oh, there's a rich church over there and a poor church over here. There's the rich people over there. They live in that neighborhood. They live in that neighborhood. There's no rich Christians or poor Christians. They're just Christians. There's just Christians. Jesus said it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven because riches can deceive us. They can make us unfruitful. And Jesus praised the widow who had just her two mites, and she put them in. And he says you've got to be willing to leave all of your earthly riches at the cross. Everything you hold dear, that 401K, if God said give it up tomorrow, would I give it up? Because I've left my hold on things in this life at the cross. I've held on to them and I've let them go. For for so long, I wanted money and security. But at the cross, you leave it all and say, all I need is Jesus. My riches are in heaven, laying up for myself treasures in heaven where moth and rust doesn't destroy. And you can go to the church of Corinth in Paul's day in Paul's day, this was a very divided church, and they would have a class society, which we don't understand now, but we can understand the difference between rich and poor. And rich people would come, and they'd bring their potluck food in for the after-church meal, and they would call that communion. And they would come, and they'd bring their best wine and their filet mignon and their pot roast and all this kind of stuff, and they would lay a spread because of class system, though, rich people and poor people didn't sit together. Slave and free didn't sit together. Man and woman didn't sit together. And this rich people would come, and they would come to church, and they'd almost get drunk. They didn't know any better. They were a bunch of sailor town, but they began to eat, and all the poor people and all the slaves would sit outside in the courtyard, and they would eat their peddly food, their peasants' food. Some of them would even go hungry, while other people were getting filled. Sure, we could worship together, but as soon as church is over, we're separate. Oh, I don't hang out with so-and-so. They run this town. Oh, I live on the other side of the track. Oh, we don't have anything in common, uh, you know, outside of the church. Oh, sure, in the church we can put on the pretty face and we can all act together. But we know that there's a big separation there because he's rich and I'm poor. I'm poor and they're rich. Is it not true? It's true. He says this very reason, he says this is the reason some in your church are weak, some are sick, and some are even dying under the judgment of God because you will not be united over class. You'll not be united over how much money you have. And he says that in this church, we are all one before God. You know, see, we can't have a chip on our shoulder even as a poor person. Sometimes we kind of buck it up and we have that little chip that says, well, yeah, I'm not rich, but blah, 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 blah. And, and we won't even go sit with a rich person because we think they think we're better than, they are better than us, right? We have that chip on our shoulder against rich and poor. I've worked for everything I've got. They got a handout, blah, 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 blah. We have a chip. But in the cross, and on this side of the cross, there's only one thing, one thing that gets you to heaven, one riches, that's the glory of God. The next wall we try to build is politics. Ooh, buddy. You all ready for this? Politics. You know, Jerusalem was filled with slave and free It was filled with religious and non-religious people. It was filled with Roman soldiers and officials. It was filled with Jewish sympathizers who had uh, left their calling to go be a tax collector, and they they were looked down on. It was filled with zealots who were planning rebellion. It was very, very political. But Jesus, he comes with a non-political message. It was never political for him. Even when they tried to trap him in a political dispute between offerings and taxes, he says what? Give to Caesar what Caesar's. Give to God's what is God's silence them all he wouldn't get lit. he wouldn't get into a political dispute because he had a one message one gospel one one kingdom one thing he was trying to establish in a very divided world of men Paul the same way tells Christians on one side pray for the authorities he tells slaves to serve their masters as they serve the Lord even though he wants them to free be free He says but politically I want you to think about the gospel on the one side, he's, he's telling people out in the world, be, be subject to your authorities. Be subject to your masters. Serve them like the Lord. Represent Christ. And in the church, he's negotiating with Philemon for Onesimus' freedom. Because in the church, we're brothers. We're sisters. We're all free in Christ. There is, He says in Galatians, there is no more slave nor free. Now, here's how we do it in our churches sometimes. In the church, you may be and employee, but before God, you're equal. And when you go out in the world, you still got to understand you're Boston employee, but you got to be Boston employee like Jesus. You got to work like you're working for Jesus, and you got to lead like you're leading like Jesus. And in the church, though, we're equal. You understand what I'm saying this morning? In the church, though, we're equal. All these po- political things. On this side of the cross, we're free. On this side of the cross, there is no Democrat or Republican. And on this side of the cross, we should have no opinion that's louder than the gospel. No opinion that's louder than the gospel. Sure, we can have our opinions. Sure, we have to live in the world. But as far as the kingdom of God is concerned, you will not find a political message in the New Testament. You will not find a single pastor or preacher or evangelist talking about the emperor or talking about Rome or anything like that. They will all be proclaiming one name, one king, one gospel. That's Jesus Christ. No opinion louder than the gospel, lest they confuse our message. This is not a Republican message, and it's not a Democratic message. It's a Jesus message, and I have no opinion louder than the gospel. One of the last things that we build walls on is gender. We live in a world so confused by gender, by sexuality, and by identity. There are walls within walls within walls, on all of these issues. Even just this last week, United Methodist Church were voting to determine whether or not an a, a, a ordained person can be homosexual or, or a lesbian. We're just so confused in this world, and how do you navigate it? Scripture is clear. No one who indulges in any sexual sin, idolatry, or adultery, or prostitution, or homosexuality will inherit the kingdom of God, First Corinthians 6, 9. It's clear This is the word of God. No one who is, or I'm not just speaking about homosexuality, but adultery. It's any sexual sin, pornography, prostitution. It's all the same before God. And no one who has the character or identity of that can enter into the kingdom of God because we all must leave who we are at the cross. It's the wall. It's the entrance. You have to die with Jesus. You repent of your sins. You come in by faith through the grace of God. But once you're inside... You're a new believer. You're a new person. You're a new thing. And we can think about all these walls. We can, we can have this message. And just like that pastor who comes into that Sunday school class that I mentioned earlier, what if a person from that, those walls, a person who has all those distinctive backgrounds, who has all those confused lifestyles, comes in and they hear the message? What is our message? What is our message? We have to be careful not to make the cross something it is not. Because the cross is a message of reconciliation between God and man and man and man. When they come into our meetings and they see and they look in, they see so many times uh, hypocrisy. And you see it on the news, how people look at the church. And they see, wow, this is a people who have all these opinions of political. They have all these walls. They have all these things. There's a bunch of judgmental hypocrites because they're divided in themselves and they hate everything about the world. They have all these walls they don't like about the world. And they put all these barriers. And they see you no know, like, just like the Democrat, is gonna see you like they see a Republican. And then the Republican's gonna see like they see a Democrat. And they won't see you as Christian. And they won't see you at the cross. And they won't see you what you, they don't see behind the cross. They see a message. And as our message, I don't, here's what I believe about this. And here's what I believe about that. And here's what I believe about this. And they see all the walls. But Paul says, you know, there's neither male nor female. We're all one in Christ. Galatians 3.28. That even your gender identity is left at the cross. Even who I am. I am everything that Christ says. I am at the cross. I'll leave there. And, and we could be standing on this side of the cross. And they could hear in and listen to our conversations. And they could look into the church. And they'd say, well, this is their view on this. And this is their view on that. And this is their view on that. All of it may be true. And we could be speaking all the things we're against and all the things we're for and all the things, and yet we can forget that there is a man on that cross who was a suffering servant, who was saying repeatedly and taking on the sin of the world and taking their sin on himself, and he was saying, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. That was his message. That was his message. Is my message a message of reconciliation between God and man and man to man to say, yes, that I understand that this is on this side of the cross who I am, but am I having a louder? It's as if that Jesus was standing here in the middle of the stage and I'm over here on this side and I'm speaking to the other side across the cross and I'm saying, this is the walls and this is where we divide and this is how we're separated. And here's his voice. He's saying, but father, forgive them. They don't understand. Father, forgive them, I'm taking on their sin, I'm taking on their identity, I'm taking on all their issues, I'm taking on all of their walls. And he is beckoning them to come to the cross with his message. He's beckoning them, saying, I will take your identity, I'll take your shame, I'll take your sin. If you'll just leave who you are at the cross, leave it all there, your whole identity, and you can come all in. And my message would be, but inside this place, past the cross, there's just one people before God. There's just, we're all new creations at the cross. We've all, I don't care what you were born with it, on this side of the cross. At the cross, we're all born again. We're all born again. We got a new identity, we got a new understanding. Am I a suffering servant with Christ? I can have all my opinions and all my politics. I, I can have, I, I'm, you're within your rights to have all those things, my race, my family, my po- politics, my, my economy, my status. All those things are real-world issues. But at the cross, it's a great place of reconciliation where Jesus has taken on himself all of these walls. And I have a choice, church. You have a choice. Am I going to rebuild walls that Jesus has torn down. Let me be clear. I'm not saying we should allow sin because there's no way you can get close to God with sin. That's a wall that Jesus, that's the cross. That's where we come in. We leave who we are at the cross. I leave my race, my sexual preferences. I leave my economy. I leave my family at the cross. I leave it all and I lose who I am And I'm born again and made into something new. But when I enter on this side of the cross, I have to remember, I leave all of that stuff, who I was, there. It's so easy for us, church, to sometimes see all of their sin and their issues and the big walls, the big walls. But we could have walls of racism hidden in our hearts. We could have walls of class and rich and poor hidden in our hearts. We could have family issues still hidden in our hearts, people we won't hang out with, people we talk about people we're divided and we can say all our message could be oh yeah if a homosexual or or a person like that or a prostitute came in here of course I would love them when they get cleaned up when they get fixed when everything changes but the message is father forgive them they don't understand come on into the cross is that your message is that my message I'm going to ask our ushers to come. We're going to have a time of communion. We should remember Romans ten thirteen, that says, There is no distinction any longer because who shall, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The church is not a melting pot. It's a people who are new creations. I leave everything at the cross. So I'm going to invite our worship team. What a better time to take communion and ask Jesus to examine us and say, God, have I left everything at the cross? Maybe there's family issues. Maybe there's hidden things in my heart. That maybe I don't even know is there. But what if they, God was to prick that thing and say, God, maybe there's a wall. Maybe there's a wall. You, and maybe the first wall is that you haven't had access into the presence of God and that there's not peace between you and God, and you haven't fully given and laid down everything that you are at the cross. That's the first step, giving up yourself, dying to yourself, receiving what Christ has done for you, and getting access in the presence of God. That's the first step, and today you're going to have a, a time and a moment to be able to do that. If you don't know Jesus, in a moment we're going to have that opportunity for